With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. News 101. Quiet, please. Ladies and gentlemen. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. now. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back. and Welcome to Conspiracy Theory Thursday. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'll try out a conspiracy theory on you because I know that sometimes I arrive at Conspiracy Theory Thursday and I don't have a good theory of my own. But try this on for size. Could we get charges of domestic violence to stick against Mayor Ted Wheeler and Multnomah County Chair Jessica Vega-Peterson because for years they have been beating up the city of Portlandia by aiding and abetting the drug, drug addicts and the criminals who fill Portlandia's public spaces with needles, tents, filth, and garbage. I'll expand on that in just a moment, but first, welcome to the program. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it happens right here on the Radio Northwest Network every single day. That is the network that serves the Pacific Northwest states of Oregon, Washington, and Idaho with honestly provocative talk. And if you want to jump into that conversation, you're always welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, you disagree with my point of view, you know that we have for more than a quarter century put naysayers to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can also vote in our Twitter poll and this one's kind of crazy. Many of you may remember the era of the spotted owl, the animal that gave all of the greenies an excuse to lock up logging to a large extent in the Pacific Northwest in the forest, wipe out tens of thousands of jobs using the spotted owl as an excuse. Well, when it comes to the spotted owl, it sounds like it's a pretty pathetic creature, because here's what happened. They wiped out the, the forest industry to a large extent, wiped out sawmills, wiped out logging, wiped out an entire industry for the most, most part. Is there still logging in the Northwest? Yes, but it pales by comparison to what it was several decades ago when it supplied hundreds of thousands of jobs and hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, of income and tax revenue and everything else. And they used the spotted owl. And now guess what? The spotted owl is dying out anyway. 
And you're going to love this. The U.S. Department of Fish and Wildlife is proposing this to save the spotted owl. They say the barred owls, another kind of owl that's killing spotted owls, we need to kill 400,000 barred owls over the next 30 years. More than 10,000 per year. Why? Because the spotted owl is too wimpy to survive. In other words, it's the kind of animal that Darwin would have, would have imagined going extinct if you buy into his theories. Well, if it's going to go extinct, if it can't live on its own, if it can't even compete with other parts of Mother Nature, and you wiped out an entire forest industry because you said we have to save the spotted owl, is it now worth wiping out a big chunk of another kind of owl to protect the spotted owls? Should the government kill hundreds of thousands of owls to protect the wimpy spotted owls? I'd vote no on that. You can vote any way you like at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. And today's Twitter poll, as always, is brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Yesterday's poll, should people who sell deadly illegal drugs that kill their customers face homicide charges. There is just such a charge being brought against a young man, 20 years old, who sold fake Oxycontin pills and killed a 15-year-old boy, allegedly. And now they brought charges against him, and I think that's right. 91% of you joined me in a yes vote on that. Only 9% of you voted no. But let me get back to this. I want to get back to my main point, and that is, could charges of domestic violence stick against Mayor Ted Wheeler and Multnomah County Chair Jessica Vega-Peterson? And let me tell you why. Because this is the only thing I could think of that actually compares to the bizarre behavior of Multnomah County and Portland. Because for years, both of those governments have beat up the city. Because it homelessness and drug addiction and people living on the streets and all the needles and the tents and the filth and the garbage... This didn't just happen. It was actually aided and abetted by Ted Wheeler and Jessica Vega-Peterson and the governments that they currently had. The county actually spent a couple of million dollars just in the last few years supplying 100,000 tents and tarps for a homeless population that only numbered 6,000. Now, do the math on that. 20 tents and tarps for every single homeless person in the community. Can you imagine a better draw? And then you've got legalized weed. You've got legalized hard drugs. You've got plenty of criminal behavior that's going on. In other words, you let the city go to hell. And then guess what happens? Like any repeat abuser, Ted and Jessica turn to you and say, I want to give you a heartfelt apology. And I promise that I'm going to do better next time. Well, the latest promise came yesterday in an agreement to extend what is known as the City-County Joint Office of Homeless Services. Actually, the way they run that place, you'd swear they're smoking joints because none of it runs very well. In fact, the Joint Office has been around since 2016. So what have they managed to accomplish in the last seven years? Well, if you go back seven years ago, homelessness was much smaller, much less pervasive, much less intrusive, and we had fewer places that were cluttered up with the garbage and the needles and the crime and the violence that comes with today's homeless encampments. And guess what? That joint office chews up almost a quarter of a billion of your tax dollars every year, 230-some million dollars every year, while accomplishing less than zero. As I said, it's been around since 2016, and when you look around the Portlandia landscape, 
I challenge anybody to tell me that the joint office has actually accomplished much of anything in the last seven years. And the new promises, they would be laughable if they weren't so tragic, not only for the people of Portlandia, but also for the people who are supposed to be served by this. So what's their new promise? They say, we've got a new way of doing things, and we're going to solve this problem. Number one, they're going to go out and actually count the homeless campers. Wow. They're going to make a list of concrete campers. Then they promise that within two years, so 25 months from now, they say we will cut the number who are on the street by 50%. So you've had seven years so far. You want two more years, and those two more years will cost the better part of half a billion dollars. And you're promising to cut the problem that is destroying downtown Portland the same way a lot of this uh, adverse activity is destroying downtown Seattle, and you're promising to cut the problem by 50% by doing the same thing the same way that you've been doing it for the last seven years? Get at least three-quarters of those people brought off the street to stay in housing for at least two years. Now, nothing in the city and county's failures over the years makes even those modest goals believable. For example, the county has been trying unsuccessfully for five years to replace one simple social sobering center for the addicts and the drunks. And don't let them blame money, because right now, Vega Peterson was so bad at her job, they couldn't even figure out how to spend $100 million this year. Now, when you're a Democrat and and you can't figure out how to spend every dime the taxpayers give you, you got to be pretty dumb. But the two-year time horizon gives lame duck Mayor Wheeler time to find his exit ramp, and I guarantee you, two years gives Vega Peterson plenty of time to think of new excuses and a whole new list of promises. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Disagree with Lars? Good. You get to go first at 866-HEY-LARS. Now, here's Lars Larson. That makes a lot of sense, a lot of nonsense. Right, everybody were right. You know you got a right to say 
This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead fish wrapper or mainstream media bias. You know, as a nerd who spent an awful lot of my growing up years in libraries in the Pacific Northwest, it kills me to say this, but I think it's true. Shame on the libraries of the Pacific Northwest. They've turned themselves into housing and drop-in centers for the homeless. They've welcomed drag queen story hours aimed at kids that keep a lot of sensible parents away. The foolish parents still go. They've shielded perverts who want free broadband to download or upload their pornography. And all of that has made libraries unfriendly to the long-standing best customers of libraries, and that would be families and their children. As the Daily Dead Fish Rapper described the problem today, created by the libraries and their policies, quote, Overdoses, stabbings, sexual harassment, hate speech for employees at Multnomah County Libraries, workplace concerns go beyond late fees and damaged books. An audit of the county's library system, published today, found that nearly 75% of the surveyed library staff who work directly with the public don't feel safe at their job. The audit, which was reviewed over the past two fiscal years, also identified areas in which the library system may be violating Oregon's workplace safety rules. So consider the situation we're in now. Libraries are a great asset to a community if they're run right. If they become dangerous, if they become scary, not only for the patrons, but for the people who work there, the libraries that have demanded tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to build new facilities from taxpayers are now complaining that the environment created by their own policies and their acquiescence to things like the homeless and drug addicts and perverts have made them dangerous places for their employees to work. And I say, too bad. You want to fix it? Fix the library. A library is a place that even though it is paid for by the public and generally it's a public place, you can have standards of behavior. You can tell the perverts, no, you can't download pornography here. You can tell the homeless, you can't camp out here or take a spit bath in the, in the uh, bathrooms of the library. You can't create a library as a place where people are afraid to take their kids and then complain only when you feel it's dangerous to your own employees. In that case, shame on you. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. I'm going to give today's Daily Grill to Portland Police Chief Richard Day. He's got a tough job. He works for a bunch of politically woke people at City Hall. But he agreed to take the job. I was really struck by something he said yesterday that caused me to give him the grill of the day today. So here's what happened. A bad guy was creating a threat in a neighborhood yesterday. And as anybody else does, the neighbors called 911. The police were summoned, and they discovered an, a man armed with a gun who was presenting a threat. Now, what do you do when that happens? You shoot the guy. They shot, and they killed the man armed with a gun. Now, that's pathetic. It could have worked out differently, but that was up to the man armed with a gun committing a crime and presenting a threat in his neighborhood. Now, guess what the police chief said after that was the result? Quote, this is not an outcome that anyone in our organization or community would desire. I can't imagine a dumber thing for a police chief to say. Actually, it's precisely the outcome that sensible citizens want. There's a threat in the neighborhood. 
the police are called. At the end of the event, the cops are alive and the armed and dangerous bad guy is dead. And the chief of police says this is not the outcome that our community would desire. Somebody introduced me to the person who said, no, we wanted the guy with the gun to shoot the cops or maybe shoot a citizen. Is that the outcome you wanted? Dead bad guy, live cops. I don't see the problem. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. Brian writes in, Lars, Harvard, MIT, and Penn presidents not being able to condemn speech calling for the genocide of Jews is just the most recent example of the positions universities have taken. Context and intent is needed. In this case, speech isn't violence. And they say that action is actually needed for them to be able to take a stand. Yet there are many subjects where if I was to express my opinion, my words would be considered a call for violence. The border, women, men and women's sports, green energy, our current education system, COVID, Ukraine, on and on. In all those examples, my views and opinions would somehow be considered violence in some way, shape or form. The context and my intent don't matter, nor do the facts and logic of my arguments. The lack of consistency is astounding. And Brian, I'd have to agree with you on that. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Our Twitter poll today, should the government kill hundreds of thousands of barred owls to protect the wimpy, not ready for primetime evolution spotted owls? Uh, I'd say no, they should not do that. Let the spotted owls, well, lay where they may. Let's go to Joe, who's an ace here. Hey, Joe, welcome to Conspiracy Theory Thursday on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Hey, well, Joe. Lars, I'd say that can you hear me now? I sure can. I, I would say that I agree with your Darwin Award for the, the spotted owl, but one one thing that I disagree with is that the, the spotted owl, um, if you look, thrives on clear cuts. And I met a professional photographer that had photographed up to 250 uh, spotted owls. Every one of them was living on the edge of a clear cut. Yep. So I, I would say that, that that may, is it possible that because we're not doing as many clear cuts and obviously logging has been cut, um, that, that that could be a problem for the spotted owl? Joe, I agree with you 100%, because think about it, it's lunchtime right now. I don't know what you're going to have for lunch. I know what I had for lunch. What is a What would a spotted owl love to have for lunch? I would guess uh, a rat, some kind of rodent, some kind of little animal, uh, maybe a lizard if you can find one, although not likely in the Pacific Northwest. Where are you going to find all those little rodents? Are you going to find them in the deep, dark forest? Or are you going to see them in the open meadows more often? And will the spotted owl be able to get to them if they're in the open meadows and the owl can sit in a tree branch on the edge of the meadow, watch for lunch to come by, and then swoop down and pick it up? It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Exactly. And sadly, we're not doing the logging anymore. And then, of course, when the, uh, what do you think happens to the spotted owls or the barred owls when our forests go up in flames as they do on a regular basis? Joe, I gotta tell you something. I'm gonna keep repeating a number that I got from a forest scientist named Bob Zyback, who's been on the show. 
He says for 35 years, from 1952 to 1987, we didn't have a single fire. We had one fire bigger than 10,000 acres in those 35 years. One fire bigger than 10,000 acres. Today, the average amount of forest burned every year in Oregon is about a half a million acres. In Washington is about a half a million acres. And we've come to take that as, well, that just happens every year, right? Half a million acres. And you say, how about we go back to the 35 years when we didn't, we only had one fire bigger than 10,000 acres? How about a third of a century of that? And the way they achieved it was they had men and women working in the woods, cutting trees down, hauling them off, turning them into lumber, and replanting all those trees. That kept the fires away. We have decided to prime our forest for fire, and that's not good for trees or loggers or the spotted owl. And you've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at V.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. What would you give for a child you loved to make their wish come true? To help them fight a critical illness? Just imagine what you'd do. You see, wishes are so powerful, and you can make them real. They can give a child back their childhood, even change the way they feel. Every single one of us can make the stars align. Because when we come together, hope and joy will shine. Wishes need stars like you. Visit Make-A-Wish at Wish.org. snowflakes yes you are probably going to be offended this is the lars larson show welcome back to the lars larson show and consider this what we've called it for years conspiracy theory thursday glad to have you with me and i'll be glad to get to your calls in a moment at 866 hey lars that's 866-439-5277 as always naysayers go first and Pamela Fitzsimmons joins me now, who writes on Substack. I've always admired her writing. She does it very well. But boy, that lead line, the one that usually draws the reader in, killing a friend with a heroin overdose turned into a legitimate career move for Morgan Godvin. Pamela, welcome. Oh, hi. Welcome. Why did you describe it that way? And what is, what is Morgan Godvin doing today that turned out to be the good career she got out of being involved in, in killing a friend with a heroin overdose? She, uh, she killed his friend with a heroin overdose. Uh, she paid, she, she sold him $80 worth of heroin. Anyway, as things would go, she went to, uh, this is a federal case. She did a federal case and she went to prison for four years. When she got out of prison, there was a show called, a very popular show called, Orange is the New Black. And uh, maybe you remember Orange is the New Black. This involved an attractive uh, young white woman who was sent to one year in prison uh, for drug trafficking. Well, Morgan Godden is also an attractive white woman, and she did four years. And I think she looked at, uh, at this at Piper Lerman and her uh, Orange is the New Black and saw career possibilities. And she has turned herself into an uh, a drug researcher. She has a long list of uh, media appearances to her credit. 
And in some of these media appearances, the reporters are very kind and gentle and don't even bring up the fact that she killed someone. Uh, anyway, it tells you something that she was the lead, um, the lead invited guest this week at the, uh, what I, I call it the DOPE committee. It's a, uh, House and Senate uh, joint committee on, uh, on drug address, on, on, on basically what to do about ballot measure 110, which has turned into a disaster. It basically legalized, uh, all forms of drug use. Anyway, so Morgan, Gosden went first. And this is interesting because one of the truths you hear repeatedly uh, at, at these state legislative hearings is that the war on drugs was a failure. Well, no, the war on drugs actually wasn't a failure. The war on drugs was lost. The drug dealers won. Morgan Gosden and people like her won. And... Um, Anyway, and she, she considers you, you write that she considers herself a victim of draconian oh, yeah. drug laws. Number one, did we have draconian drug laws, and was she a victim of them? No, we we've, we've never we have not had draconian drug laws since maybe last century. It's been like four decades since uh, anybody went to prison just for using drugs. People go to prison for the crimes they commit when they're on drugs or to feed their habit. They go to prison for stealing, for robbing, for assaulting. That's why people go to prison. But they, they pass themselves off as having been uh, serving time for a drug-related crime. They try to pass themselves off as just a struggling drug user who has a disease. And this is another thing you hear at these legislative he hearings. It's all about um, drug addiction as a disease. Well, it's not a disease. Uh, it's a choice. And even if you treat it as a disease, you have to acknowledge there are some diseases for which there are no cures. And this idea that treatment can be bought, that we just need to keep spending hundreds of millions of dollars on treatment and it will take care of the problem. No, there is no surefire treatment. Uh, well, I mean, there might be, but Pamela, let me ask you this. She is being, the most important thing isn't what she considers herself, that she considers herself an expert because she's been involved in buying and selling drugs, because she's been involved in killing somebody, because she's taken drugs herself and been addicted and remembers barfing into a trash can when she was thrown in jail. What's important is, to me, is that state lawmakers are listening to her, even today, as this disaster of Measure 110 is going on in Oregon, and a similar circumstance in Washington for different reasons, a court decision instead of a ballot measure. But these state lawmakers are taking her advice seriously, and she's telling them, don't get rid of Measure 110, right? Exactly, and it's it's what's so bad is that she set the tone for this uh, four hour meet four hour hearing that occurred earlier this week. She set the tone. Uh, subsequent speakers, some of whom are highly educated doctors, praised her. Um, it, it was quite troubling. There was only one person who deviated from this script, and I don't know how he got uh, invited. Apparently, they made a mistake. But when he started talking about, you know, he he runs a program in Salt Lake City. That is not government funded. But when he started talking about how people get people get on drugs because of bad decisions and poor choices they make, um, State Senator Kate Lieber, who chairs this uh, committee, cut him off and told him he was off topic. He was the only one who took that tack, and he was told to shut up. 
And yet, so, at my experience, Pamela, has been that the thing that gets people into treatment, you could have a billion dollars worth of treatment, but if people won't sign up for it, if people, people won't say, yes, put me in treatment, take the drugs away, and, and help me beat my own addiction, if they won't do that, you, it doesn't have, matter how much money you spend on, on treatment if, if, if the addicts won't take the treatment. Exactly. And if you go to Morgan Godvin's website, one of the services, one of the helpful hints she provides is a phone number you can call if you don't want to shoot up alone. Uh, she's very defensive about drug use, very defensive. And she calls it drug use. It's actually drug abuse, but nobody calls it drug abuse anymore. It's now drug use. Well, then she's offering to go and, and stand by while somebody shoots up. Is that what she's offering? It, it sounds like if she has a phone number. But I didn't call the phone number. Maybe maybe somebody should call the number and say, hey, I, I want to shoot up and I don't want to be alone. Will you come and hold my hand? So, in other words, somebody to participate and, I guess, stand by with Narcan in case you overdose. So... <laughs> is Oregon is Oregon likely, based on the fact that they're hearing all these witnesses that say this is just drug use, it's it's a and the reason I object to people calling it a disease um, it, from a medical standpoint, it may be. But it, it's as though you were walking down the street, somebody sneezed and you caught a cold. Nobody blames right. somebody for getting a cold. But you don't walk down the street and all of a sudden a hypodermic needle is hanging out of your arm. That's a conscious choice for you to take drugs, usually because you want to have fun taking drugs. And then the right. fun turns into addiction and the addiction is not as much fun. But the but the decision right. to go to drugs is your decision. It's not an accident. But they make excuses. For example, every single person listening to this show right now has had trauma in their lives. We've all had disappointments, heartaches, major disappointments. We all have. And yet drug users are allowed to get away with saying, Well, you know, I didn't have what I needed from life and I had to I had to go with drugs. No you don't. It is a choice. Um, but uh, basically the, the legislature has three choices and why they're having these hearings is they can continue with Measure 110 as it is, and that's what supporters want, like this Morgan Godwin. Uh, they want to give it more time, spend more money. Opponents uh, come in two, uh, two classes, basically. Some opponents want to keep it but try to fix it. And then other opponents want to get rid of it entirely. And uh, what the opponents have to do is either put it uh, on the ballot themselves or have the legislature put it on the ballot, uh, again, for a do-over. Let, let the voters, more informed voters, uh, take another shot at it. Um, I don't think this legislature is going to put it on the ballot and give voters a chance to overturn it. I don't think no, I think they're going to try to fix it around the edges. But if they if they have the carrot and the carrot is treatment, it's available to anybody. Very few people take it. But if you take away the stick that might push you into that, something else. That's Pamela Fitzsimmons. She writes on Substack. We'll put up a link to the piece that she writes. And I very much appreciate her time. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your phone calls and emails. You're listening to Conspiracy Theory Thursday on The Lawrence Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? 
Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Morning Consumers. This can happen to you. You know, if I can digress for just a second. Last night I was on the television. You know, on television, I was on the telephone. And you know, <laughs> at any rate. Uh, this is what can happen when you order a president by mail. Next time, pick your president in person. This is the Lars Larson Show. Mumbles, mumbles all the time. That what did he say? The sea would drive us all to water. Did you know that your policies would trans our sons and daughters? Did you know that your policies will punish what is true? The church that you subscribe to does not subscribe to you. Biden, did you know? Oh. Biden, did you know that your baby boy made shady deals in Ukraine? Biden, did you know? Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. That's our friends at the Babylon Bee with a different interpretation of a familiar Christmas song. Glad to be with you on a Conspiracy Theory Thursday and always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And this segment of the show brought to you by NickShivers.com for an instant offer to sell your home immediately. No showing, no hassles, and you pick the closing date. NickShivers.com for details. Let me go to uh, Rick in Tukwila. Hey, Rick, welcome to the program. I understand you're you're almost a naysayer on something. What, what's on your mind today? And thanks for listening on KVI and the Radio Northwest Network. Yeah, thank you, Lars. Um, I'm just a little irritated. I, I just tuned in. I'm on the freeway, and I'm hearing this Pamela gal. She's bashing the, this other lady, Morgan, uh, by saying that she killed her friend. Okay, yeah. where's the accountability to the individual that took the drugs? You know, if well, I gave you is. a bottle of Tylenol, you know, and you took the whole bottle, or I gave you a bottle of vodka for Christmas and you drank the whole bottle, that's, that's really harsh to say that she killed her friend. Hold on a second. Let me, your comparison's a little weak because if I take a bottle of vodka from you, uh, is there poison in the vodka? Because if the regular vodka sold at Washington State or Oregon liquor stores is not poisonous, uh, I mean, other than that alcohol is inherently kind of a poison, ethanol is, uh, but I don't mind a shot of, of bourbon now and then. Uh, but if I, if you hand me some Tylenol, that was manufactured by 
a, a pharmaceutical company that ends up with huge problems if even one of their bottles of Tylenol kills somebody, and there there's a consequence there. If if you sell somebody heroin and they overdose on the heroin, of course there's responsibility on the taker. But even in the law, I was just talking this week, yesterday, about a case where they're charging a young man with homis, with a, a form of homicide because he sold what he said was an OxyContin pill, not from one of the pharma companies, that turned out to have fentanyl in it and it killed a 15-year-old boy. Would you find that guy guilty of manslaughter? Perhaps, but not with the intent. I don't think this gal had the intent to kill her friend. No, but if it was murderer, no, but understand this, Rick. The difference between manslaughter and murder, murder is when you intend to kill somebody. Manslaughter is when you swing your fist, hit me in the head, and I die. You're guilty of manslaughter. You're not guilty of murder because you didn't intend to kill me. And, of course, she didn't intend to kill her friend. But if you, if you give somebody a hot shot of heroin that turns out to be a hot shot and the person dies... Are you somewhat responsible for their death? Or is all the responsibility on the person who put the needle in their own arm? The way she framed that was that she killed her friend. I just well, she I did, don't, she I don't did like kill her friend. Well, but she did. She she killed her, so her friend. Her friend killed herself. Her friend killed herself. So, she, so the person the alcohol thing, yes, you know, but she didn't say murder. She said that. killing a friend with a heroin overdose turned into a legitimate career move for Morgan Godvin. So the point she was making, uh, and I'm confident I got that right, this woman is now being listened to by state lawmakers who are considering whether or not to, to end a disastrous, already deadly for hundreds of people, experiment with Measure 110. And they're saying, should we change this? And they're listening to somebody who killed one of her friends with heroin. Do you think it makes sense for state lawmakers to listen to somebody who not only was a heroin addict, but actually was involved in killing somebody with heroin? I absolutely do, because oftentimes the person that was intimate with the problem has the best insight to the solution. Uh, you know, I, I know that I've heard that before, but persuade me. How does taking heroin make you an expert on how to get off heroin? Because you've gone through the struggles. You know the mentality, the mind state. You know the struggle. You know the problem. So you have an inside Okay, then, then let's, let's jump to this. Okay, I, I get your point. You say you got an insight. She's beaten heroin. She's no longer an addict by all accounts. So she's telling them, don't change Measure 110. Let me ask you, from a distance, Oregon and Washington are in similar circumstances. The Supreme Court killed Washington State's hard drug laws. The lawmakers won't put them back. Uh, in Oregon, they had Measure 110 that killed all most of the laws against hard drugs. Is Measure 110 working? Oregon is a disaster. And, is, and Washington is, too. So when, when you have this former heroin addict who killed her friend and is now being listened to as an expert saying, don't get rid of Measure 110, does that make her, uh, does she sound like the kind of expert you want to pay attention to? I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying I'm upset at her for agreeing or disagreeing. I didn't ask you that. I asked you, she's saying don't get rid of this, and it's killing people right now. Should they listen to her, yes or no? I think she deserves a lot. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. 
For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. So, in exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. No. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails, and I always look forward to talking to my friend Todd Hoffman, uh, gold mining Todd, and you see him on television, but he's got about 50 other enterprises working at all times. How are you, Todd? <laughs> I, I'm not bad. I'm uh, still uh, overweight, which is unfortunate, according to my wife, but uh, I'm doing all right. How are you, no, you're just You're just big-boned, aren't you? Yeah, I'm just big bone. That's what my mom says. So there <laughs> for you go. People, for people who haven't seen you out gold mining, uh, how tall are you, and and what do you book in at? You know, I book in uh, just over three hundred pounds. I'm like five nine. The funny part is, I ask people, I go, "Hey, what sport did I play in college?" And they're like, "Well, you were a football, of course, you know." And uh, and I said, "You know what? I was a point guard in college." And they just it kind of amazes them because at one point I was actually skinny and quick luckily i haven't lost my good looks though lars i mean i think we'd all agree on that <laughs> so you know I, I know we're i know we're right in the middle of this but what can you say about the series right now and about how it's going because i know the producers tell you you got to hold certain things back otherwise it'd be yeah. a spoiler for people watching the show but what can you say you know you know you're just a guy i cared a lot about that kind of stuff but you know sometimes i just say stuff but you know uh of course i run into major issues like i always do mining but um we do get quite a bit of gold but um there's there's just uh drama last year you know you saw me kind of arguing with my son we iron out some of that stuff but um there's just some interesting things that we've never experienced in the show before and i think it's i think it's going to be a really interesting year uh, personally, it was kind of tough for me because I ran into a few issues that I really haven't experienced. And so it stretched and kind of grew me as a leader a little bit. And, um, you know, I had to rely a lot on my faith this summer. And um, so Did that you? was what, I mean, in, it's in good to of, hear that you depend yeah. on your faith because I depend on my faith. But but what was it that that, that got you to the point where you, you said, I've, I've got to turn to, to God for this one? What What happened? You know, sometimes things happen like with weather and things happen and you can't, you, you just, they're so far out of, you, you know, your control. You know, we think, you know, we go through our day usually, especially as a small business guys, you know, 
we like to try to look and forecast and try to control our environment because, you know, the opposite side of that is very, very deadly because we could go bankrupt, we can lose a lot of money, and there's no, there's really no safety net for small business guys like us. And so, you know, there was some, some issues with the environment that happened, and that was, it was out of my control, and it started weighing on me. Normally, I can handle that kind of stuff, but I started experiencing, like, anxiety and some of the things that guys don't like to talk about. But, you know, I mean, I, I'm kind of an open book. I do want people to see my face and see our, yeah, a little bit of an open book. So, yeah, some issues like that, Lars. Well, I don't know. General Patton, way back in the day, managed to get some help from God. He prayed for fair weather for a battle, and he got it. So, I mean, sometimes it works. No. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I know... You look back, you step back from your daily problems, and you look and you say, hey, you know what? You know, God's blessed me with, with my family and the health of my family and things like that. My dad's health is doing good, and he's 77, 78. And so it's like you, you, you look back and you look at all the blessings that we have, and then it kind of puts things more into perspective. But, um, you know, it's always a challenge when I'm, you know, as you are talking about it, all at all times is looking at our country and what's going on and it's like it kind of it kind of scares me a little bit man i mean i don't know well it is frightening because todd i gotta tell you something i i'm not usually the guy who buys into conspiracy theories unless there are some facts and logic to back it up but it really seems like what's being done to the country right now are things that that could only be done on purpose. You couldn't accidentally run America into the level of problems it's got uh, right now. Just, uh, well, things didn't go well, so everything went down, down, uh, you know, in all at the same time. Interest rates crazy, inflation crazy. Uh, we go from no wars effectively to, to two or three and one on the way, possibly, or two and one on the way. I mean, how does all that happen just because of bad choices by, by primarily by the Democrats and by Joe Biden? I, I don't see it. it. It almost looks deliberate. You know, it feels that way, too. I think when COVID hit, I mean, I think a lot of people will agree with me is that there was like a black blanket that came across our country. And yep. it just really it just really has never changed. And so we have some darkness, obviously. And then there's little guys out there like you and me, and we're we're actually trying to shine the light and share the light. And, um, and that's why I want to, you know, and I love talking to you. I just, and I just want to tell you, thank you that you're just the voice of reason out here in the Northwest that it's like, you've been such an important part of a lot of people's lives every day. And you probably get tired too. You have your own problems, but I just want to tell you, thank you for being out there all these years holding the standard of professionalism that you have and wow, so anyways i just want to tell you thanks Lars. And I, seriously and i appreciate um, it. i want people know, to watch yeah. hoffman family gold though because i mean this is are you getting tired i mean i want to ask you something you probably never get tired of gold mining although it's hard work and it probably can be unrewarding at times but how about the tv end of it are you getting tired of that at all or is it still fun you know, you get you get tired of it in that like this summer. You know, we ran into some issues, and you're going to see them in the show. You're, and I and I got a right hand guy, Andy Spinks, and I'm telling you, when you can find a guy that can 
that's loyal and can shoulder troubles with you. I mean, you found a real gem. A lot of these small businesses have, you, you look and they'll say, yeah, they have their right-hand guy right with them. And that's mine is Andy Spinks. And when you have loyal people like that um, that can shoulder some of the, the, the mining part of it, then I can kind of shoulder the TV stuff. And, and that means a lot to me to kind of show these things. So when I say, hey, man, I'm tired of this TV BS, I'm done, you know, <laughs> you kind of get, <laughs> you kind of get, you know, you realize, geez, I got a lot of people I got to pay. I mean, these guys work for me. They count on it. You know, and a lot of that's the television part of it. So, but, but I want people to see something good and I don't always feel like I do that. And so that's the struggle with me is like, did I show my faith right? Did I, did I, like I just fire a guy or something and did I, did I do that right? That was I honorable, you know, in that? So you always are questioning, is it worth it? Should I keep doing it? The answer seems to always come back yes, but when it doesn't, then I'll be done, you know, okay. but. Hey, Todd, so Todd I got to work on a mention of this. Todd Hoffman is with me from Hoffman Family Gold on Discovery Channel, uh, second season of it. He's got Sandy Mule, his rock and roll band, and they're going to be playing at the Ponderosa Lodge, uh, Lounge at Jubit's Truck Stop. You know where that is in Portland this coming Saturday, Saturday the 9th. That's Todd Hoffman and Sandy Mule. Todd, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so very much, sir. Thanks for having me. So that's Todd Hoffman from Hoffman Family Gold. You've got the Lars Larson Show. Attention, with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. VMA.org. The voice of the people. is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And there's so many things. It's such a target-rich environment on this Conspiracy Theory Thursday. But i got to tell you this. I just saw this. Um, I'll cite Tucker Carlson because he got the quote. But the Biden administration, uh, which just had John Kirby uh, yesterday as one of their spokesmen, who said, look, uh, we're gonna, the cost of not supporting Ukraine is going to be American blood. And he said it just that clearly. And now 
the, as Carlson puts it, the Biden administration is openly threatening Americans over Ukraine in a classified briefing in the House yesterday. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, he's running the Pentagon, informed members that, quote, if they don't appropriate more money for Zelensky in Ukraine, quote, we will send your uncles, your cousins and your sons to fight Russia. Unbelievable. Just absolutely outrageous. And I want to remind you, as we head up to a presidential election less than a year from now, before Donald Trump was elected, everybody on the left said, Donald Trump will get us into new wars. He did not. Donald Trump will alienate our friends. No, he communicated to our friends and said, you got to pay your fair share. And they did. Donald Trump got us out of conflicts. Joe Biden is getting us into conflicts. And now we've got Joe Biden's Pentagon threatening your kids, your families, saying we will send your sons and your cousins and your uncles to fight in Russia if you don't give Zelensky more money. Do you know what the problem is with a president who's owned lock, stock and barrel by oligarchs in places like Ukraine, by the communists in Beijing, China? This is where it ends up being. It's not just money. They're now threatening it's going to be, as John Kirby put it, one of Biden's spokesmen. He said it's going to be American blood if we don't support Ukraine. Now, you might say, well, factually, he could end up being accurate. Could be. But imagine a White House that would tell Americans your family's blood will be shed if you don't give more money to those oligarchs in Ukraine that Joe Biden and his son made all those deals with. Do you smell the stink of corruption that's coming off of all of that? Glad to be with you and glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find that at LarsLarsonShow and at LarsLarson.com. Now, earlier in the show, I talked to a young lady uh, who had uh, done quite a piece on the subject of addiction, and why some of the people who are making decisions about how we handle addiction to hard drugs and whether or not there are criminal consequences for that, they're listening to people who were addicts themselves, which in some cases for some treatment might actually make sense. In other cases, when you're forming public policy, I think it makes not much sense at all. Let me go first to Aaron, who's a naysayer, since we always promise to put naysayers first. Aaron, welcome to the program, and what do you and I disagree about today? Hey, Lars, uh, thanks for taking my call. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller, and I usually agree with you, except for, like, last week or the week before when you <laughs> used an anti-Semitic slur for somebody. But, when did uh, I use an anti-Semitic slur? Uh, you called somebody a Shylock, and uh, that's... No, that's I didn't call him a Shylock. I've used the term shyster, which is a, no, I have never used the term Shylock. Uh, Shakespeare did, but I didn't. So I don't know when you thought you heard that. But I'd love to have you document that because I have never used the term Shylock. Is there a place I can uh, find past episodes? You can find all of our past episodes of the show at www.larslarson.com. Very easy. Spell it E-N-R-O-N, although Owen is the way God intended. So, so I, I don't like the slur from you without any kind of backup either, Aaron. I don't take that kindly. I mean, you're the one who said it. No, I didn't. No, what you're saying is if you say I said it, then I must have said it. Is that your logic? I mean... I heard it. No. Well, you know what, Aaron? I can, can, Aaron, can I tell you something just so you understand inside baseball? 
My producers could tell you that at least six or seven times a week, somebody says, Lars, you said this. And I go to them and I say, I don't remember anything like that. And they said, no, that was this other host or that was somebody else. Aaron, I got to tell you, people do that all the time. I've become accustomed to it. They'll say, why, you were talking about, uh, you know, this yesterday. I go, no, haven't talked about that in weeks. When did you think you heard it? Well, I heard it. And then they'll name a time I'm not even on the air. So, Aaron, I've become you know, accustomed enough, to people enough. having like I imperfect said, I will memories. go back and uh, I will find the episode, and then when I find it, I will call back and we can address it then. However, I'd like to address, uh, like you said, your, um, not your last guest, but the guest before that lady who is completely ignorant on, on drugs. And I would just like to ask, is there any other um, product or any other um, industry where we blame the what the company or the product seller for for um the death of 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 its use. yes say, every say single every product. single company not, in america that sells an that's imperfect the, product well i'm answering product, you right? yes i thought you asked a question so you're saying are, are there if ford motor company makes an imperfect automobile like the pinto my dad used to love them i thought they were a fun car to drive but they had flaws and the company knew about the flaws and when the cars would uh, very very infrequently blow up literally and incinerate the occupants yes we blamed ford if somebody makes an imperfect dalcon shield which was an iud uh, the company got sued. So, yes, the answer to your question is, do we ever blame the people who either sell the, sell the product or make the product for the failure of the product and for the damage it causes? Yeah, just about every day of the week, Aaron. But now you're putting a stipulation like, oh, they, they made an imperfect product. Let me say, like, if I buy well, a if somebody takes a shot of heroin and they don't get high from it, but they get dead from it, would you call it imperfect? Oh, I asked you a question. If I buy a gun and I shoot myself, commit suicide, is the gun manufactured? No, the gun worked perfectly. It did exactly what it was intended to do. Now, if you buy a gun and the gun barrel blows up when you fire around to it because the barrel was made imperfectly, then you can blame the company. Now, but, but if you use the gun and the intended purpose of a gun is to send a bullet out the barrel, and you did, but you choose to put it in your head, that's on you. Absolutely, and I agree. I'm saying... Do you think the person who was shooting that heroin we talked about intended to kill himself? No, but he okay. intended to use it, knowing the consequences and the potential danger. No, but the consequences for the vast majority of people who shoot heroin is they get high, and then in a few hours or a few days they come down. That's what usually happens. So what I'm saying is, if somebody takes a shot of heroin, and it's a hot shot, meaning they stepped on it, you know, twice instead of three times. And they, I'm they familiar. Did, and, I'm an ex-addict myself. I'm not, but I at least know the terminology. So if you <laughs> agree that the person who shot that heroin in, in, in his vein intended to get high but did not intend to get dead, then when the heroin he took from somebody who gave it to him or sold it to him killed him, it did not do what he intended to do with it, correct? Correct. However... He knows the risk. 
he knows the well you know the risk when you get in a car and drive it down the road that you could slide off the road hit a pole and and kill yourself but that doesn't mean that ford motor company is responsible because you drove badly but it's a decent argument aaron thank you very much and i have always appreciated great nays here glad to get your calls at 866 hey lars you're listening to the lars larson show and the radio northwest network the lars larson show If you don't like the Lars Larson Show, maybe you should get tested. One of the symptoms is losing your sense of taste. Let's go, Brandon. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails, and I've been really looking forward to talking to George Beebe, who is former director of the CIA's Russia An Analysis uh, Department and former Russia advisor to Vice President Dick Cheney, currently director of Grand Strategy at the Quincy Institute. Mr. Beebe, welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm kind of concerned about the, the kind of uh, there's there is this desperation on the part of the White House and the administration to get more money from Ukraine to the point where just two data points on that. You've got John Kirby, one of the spokesmen for, for the Biden administration, saying it will be American blood that will be shed if you don't send more money to Ukraine. And then Lloyd Austin, apparently backgrounded members of Congress, and told them, we'll send your uncles and your cousins and your sons to Russia uh, to fight, and it'll be their blood if you don't give more money. Um, what should we make of the fact that the administration is literally trying to make the threat personal to Americans? Well, um, I, uh, I, I have a very hard time believing uh, that those threats as they're portraying them are real. Um, their suggestion is that you know, what we're dealing with in Russia is, is a lot like what we had to deal with in Nazi Germany in World War II. If we don't stop the Russians in Ukraine, they'll just keep on marching right through Europe, and, and soon enough they'll be in Iowa. Um, and, and I think that's just not a real uh, uh, appreciation of the, of the situation that we're facing. The Russians have had their hands full capturing territory directly on their border, uh, in a in a country they know very well, where they speak the language, it used to be part of the Soviet Union. Um, they've got short logistic lines. They've got every advantage you could imagine. And you know, nearly two years into this war, they're still not uh, making a lot of of territorial advances. So you know, the notion that they're going to actually take on the entire NATO alliance um and march through europe I, I think is very very hard to believe and and i'm a little bit surprised that the biden administration thinks this is a persuasive talking point i mean because i mean and i want people to bat, you know to check me on on quotes but i'm i'm not reading between the lines when i quote john kirby as saying if you think the price is high now this is a quote america will not only spend money but also shed its own blood if the U.S. does not assist Ukraine in its war against Russia. That's the way the Biden administration is laying it out. And that's, it suggests to me they're desperate to get this approved. They see it failing on Capitol Hill right now. And so they say, okay, we'll just tell Americans, your blood is going to be spilled or the blood of your kids and grandkids if you don't give us more money right now. Yeah, and what's striking about this is that the, the one thing that they could do that might actually work, they're not actually willing to do. 
And that is, you know, think about the possibility of some kind of compromise with Russia and this war. Yep. Um, they would rather threaten Americans with going to war with Russia than to contemplate a compromise, which I find rather disturbing. Well, in fact, tell me this. I'm talking to George Beebe, who's the former director of the CIA's Russia Analysis Department, former Russia advisor Dick Cheney, and currently at the Quincy Institute as director of Grand Strategy. What what do you think would be, I mean, nobody ever likes, you know, if both sides are unhappy, then the compromise is a true compromise. I guess I could look at it that way. What what kind of deal could be cut uh, that in which, you know, Russia won't be entirely happy, Ukraine won't be entirely happy, but it would end the conflict? What What could you foresee? Well, I think the same deal that has been out there for the taking since even before this invasion occurred, and that is... Uh, agreeing that Ukraine is going to be a neutral country, not a part of Russia's sphere of influence, not a part of the NATO alliance. Uh, in return, Russia would uh, agree that the war will end, uh, that uh, Ukraine can develop its civilian economy, much like Finland did, much like Austria did uh, during the Cold War period, where, where both those countries said, yeah, we're going to be neutral. And in return, we have the ability to you know, pursue our own internal political uh, choices and, and to thrive as a democracy. And, and that essentially is the deal that the Russians have said they're willing to make for years. It's, it's a deal that the United States has refused because we've said, no, 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 you know, Russia doesn't get to veto NATO enlargement if Ukraine wants to be part of the alliance. You know, that's that's not something that Russia gets a voice in. And I think we're simply going to have to acknowledge well, the reality that, you know, that's a compromise that we're going to have to take. And Mr. Beebe, am I wrong in seeing sort of a parallel? I know we got to go back, you know, a long ways to the 60s. But when America said we won't tolerate Cuba having Russian Soviet missiles in Cuba, it's not acceptable. You can't do it. So we were telling two sovereign nations, I'm not defending Russia, I'm not defending Cuba for certain, but to say to them, you're not allowed to do that. Uh, you know, and now today we're saying Russia can't say you're not allowed to make this, this next door state, Ukraine, part of NATO. That's unacceptable. It sounds like it's, it's pretty much the same thing. I know hypocrisy is nothing new in politics, but is there a parallel there? Well, let me put it this way. Um, the United States says that it's Ukraine's sovereign right to decide whether it wants to ally with another country or not. Right. That is not what we said about Cuba. We did not say, oh, well, it's, it's Castro's sovereign right to decide whether he wants to have a military alliance with the <laughs> Soviet Union or not. We said, no, <laughs> there are certain things that, that actually threaten U.S. national security. We are not going to tolerate them, um, and, and we won't. Um, so we, we do need to appreciate that great powers uh, are very reluctant to allow other great powers to, to put military equipment directly on their borders uh, to ring them with, with uh, military allies. Um, the United States is not willing to see that. Russia is not. China is not. And, and you know, historically, this has been the norm, not the exception. Well, check my understanding. Ever since the Soviet Union broke up, haven't we been doing exactly that? Saying we're going to go to all these former Soviet 
republic, republics and say, we're going to have some presence there, including I don't know, bio labs, including uh, uh, say about their military and all kinds of other things. We've been doing the very same thing, haven't we? To Russia, ringing them with with allies of with our allies. Well, yeah, in the mid nineteen nineties, a lot of this. No, I think that's right. I think uh, back in the mid nineteen nineties, a lot of these countries that were a part of the Soviet Union, were a part of the Warsaw Pact came to the United States, came to NATO, and said, hey, we'd like to be under your military umbrella. We have a long, uh, very uh, tragic history with Moscow, and and we we would like your protection. And and the United States had a choice to make. What kind of relationship are we going to have with these countries? And there was a debate between people that said, let's enlarge the NATO alliance and bring them in, and those that said, well, no, Let's not make them military allies, but let's adopt a program of cooperation with them that will enable us to help them, but not undertake a commitment to defend them if, if uh, they are attacked. And that other option was rejected. Uh, it's one that I think the Russians would have been far more comfortable with, but we're now we're living with the consequences of that decision today. I'm just trying to imagine what happens the day Mexico gets in money trouble and communist China says, hey, you can be our buddies and we'll have friends right on America's southern border. I mean, we've already got Chinese nationals in a fighting age coming across our border thanks to Joe Biden. So uh, I, I could imagine almost anything these days. That's George Beebe, who's former director of the CIA's Russia and analysis department, former advisor to Dick Cheney and currently at the Quincy Institute. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your calls at 866-A-LARS. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. With interest with me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Why look so awfully tragic? Put on a happy face. Yes, he has a face for radio. All the same, check out the Lars Rumble Daily at Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Our Twitter poll question today. Should the government kill literally hundreds of thousands of owls to protect the wimpy spotted owls who are still dying out? Remember when we had to 
Get out of the forest. Stop logging. Stop cutting trees. We've got to save the spotted owl. Now the spotted owl appears to be still headed toward extinction. And apparently now the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service says, we've got the solution. It turns out the problem for the spotted owl is actually barred owls because barred owls like to attack and kill spotted owls. So Fish and Wildlife, Fish and Feathers, is proposing to kill 400,000 barred owls over the next 30 years to save the spotted owls. Even though it seems Mother Nature has said, no, uh, the owl, the owls just, you know, the spotted owls just not going to make it. They're not made for prime time. On that note, let's go to Eric and Ben listening on the Radio Northwest Network and KBND. Hey, Eric, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, thanks, Lars. Appreciate it. Long time listener, and this is my first time calling in. Thank hey, you. you know, a lot of times I hear the argument about the spotted owl, and most of the people arguing in favor of preserving the spotted owl are ignorant, which is True. because back in the 80s, the spotted owl was designated an indicator species. So it tells when the numbers decline, it tells the health of the forest is declining. It's much like having a warning light on the dashboard of your car. So releasing the barred owls or killing the barred owls to save the spotted owl is like putting a piece of tape over the oil pressure light that comes on <laughs> on your car's dashboard. You're, you're disguising the real issue. And the left love that because without making that argument, they can say, look, the spotted owl is good. Everything we've done is great. No logging is good. When in fact, that is what is causing the decline of the spotted owl. And that's it. Why would you want to take your canary in the coal mine and put it on oxygen so that the canary never gives you warning that maybe you've run into a pocket of CO, right? Exactly. Exactly. Well, anyways, Lars, that was the point I wanted to make, and I hope everybody listening uh, wises up about what really the spotted owl is to the health of our forest. I hope they do, too, and I appreciate the call. I, I'm sad that they wiped out an entire industry in name of the spotted owl, and now we're told we got to wipe out 400,000 owls to protect the spotted owl. What next? We're going to put it on welfare and food stamps? Let's go to Joel in St. Helens. Hey, Joel, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, it's Joe Hall uh, here. Uh, I got a pretty disturbing um, email from a uh, property owner. I'm the handyman that got uh, assaulted by BLM and Antifa. I remember uh, that, and, and where the Portland police never actually caught up with the bad guys, even though they had the bad guys yeah. on video with the uh, yeah. AR-15 they threatened you with. Uh, but, hey, Antifa yeah. gets special protection in Portlandia. Yeah, well, situation I got going on, my landlord that I worked for was a very, probably one of the best landlords, as a matter of fact, the best landlord I've ever worked for in 25 years. Um, one of her tenants um, sent the rent check in, and I, and I emailed you the picture that was wrapped in the rent check. And it's one of those uh, from the river to the sea, burning building, oh, free Palestine, BLM, uh, ACAB type of, uh, you know, drawing some nitwit grew. And the property owner is married to uh, one of the, the property owner is Jewish. Oh, boy. And that is, to me, as the property manager who works for her properties and has for the past 13 years, that's a threatening 
that that is threatening to the landlord. I agree. And and and, and what protections property. what protections does she get? Um, you know, because if she were to call the cops, they'd probably I would guess they would say, well, there's what's the crime? And she said, I'm being threat. I'm being sent a threatening note. Although I imagine the cops might look at it and say, well, it's not a threat to you personally. It's a threat to Israel and Jewish people. But, you know, if she takes it as a threat uh, and I think yep. she should, I think I think that's a very threatening thing to send. Did she ever confront the renter and say, why would you yeah, send me such a thing? Just got it today, and I'm actually on my way over to the property to knock on the tenant's door myself. She just got back from um, Egypt and over in the Middle East on a on a cruise. Nice. And and so I, as as her mouthpiece, I don't usually get political with tenants, but they're going to see the political, not rudeness, political, but direct. Acknowledgement, why did you send this to a Jewish owner of the property? Did it say anything else in that note? Did it say, you know, you sh did it direct it to her? Or is the no. tenant going to be able to say, oh, it was just a piece of scrap paper that I, I was drawing on, and I happened to include it with a rent check? I can imagine a cockamamie excuse exactly. like that. But, I mean, is exactly. there anything else that might explain that she meant this message specifically for the landlord? No, the building that is burning looks similar to, or, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the building and, um, you know, the kind of the way the drawing is with the, you know, the way it's set up, and it looks similar to our property. Well, you know, I, I'll tell you what, I, maybe the St. Helens Police Department doesn't have time for this, but if you called no, them this, and said, look, they've threatened her. This, this, is, you should, this is in Portland. This is in oh, Portland. it's in Portland. You should, at the very least, have a have a conversation with that tenant and have the police say to her, what what, what exactly were you trying to communicate? Because if it was a threat, you've got a problem. Uh, Joe, thank you very much. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson. The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been and telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you're in an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated. But the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Is the Lars Larson Show. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Lars. No. Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. 
Welcome back to Wiles Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. As you might remember, uh, we got the news of the shooting at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, UNLV, and uh, we didn't know much about it the first day. But what it has now turned out to be that the three people who were killed at UNLV uh, were killed by a man who is now dead himself, but he was a professor, college professor, who taught in a couple of other states and then applied for a job but was not hired at UNLV, and that seems to be the proximate cause of his uh, his mass murder. But I thought we'd talk about this subject with our friend Dr. John Lott. He's president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Now, I serve on the board of directors uncompensated, uh, but, uh, but willingly, because I think uh, Crime Prevention Research Center does a lot of good, and there are no other institutions doing what Dr. John Lott does. He's the author most recently of a number of books, including More Guns, Less Crime. Dr. Lott, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me on. Good to talk to you. First thing I thought of uh, when I heard about this shooting at UNLV is that I would have guessed generically most college campuses in America are gun-free zones. UNLV is almost entirely gun-free with a couple of little exceptions, but largely gun-free. And this puts it right in that category of most dangerous places in America, doesn't it? Would you mind explaining to my, my audience why gun-free zones are so dangerous? Sure. Well, there are 12 states that uh, mandate that uh, public universities have to allow people with permanent concealed handguns uh, on their campuses. Uh, there's another 20 uh, that leave it up to the individual schools, but kind of knowing where kind of universities go politically, it's not too surprising to know that very few of them actually allow people to be able to go and carry. And then there are places, uh, the rest of the states just completely ban it. There's no option there. Unfortunately, I, I testified before the Nevada State uh, House uh, a couple of years, a few years ago, when the last time the Republicans controlled uh, the the House there uh, for a bill that would have uh, kind of allowed people to be able to go and carry on uh, on campus, and you know it didn't go anyplace, uh, and you know it's not too surprising that you've had another attack at this place. Anybody who's read the diaries and manifestos for these mass murderers know that time after time after time they explicitly talk about why they picked the target that they did. You know, we had the Nashville uh, mass murder earlier this year uh, at the Covenant School. Uh, in their diary, according to the Nashville police chief, they had had another target as their primary target, but had decided a mall but they decided not to go after that once they realized that people were allowed to carry guns at that place and they had security there. Uh, you see the, the Buffalo mass murderer last year. He goes into great detail about why he wanted to pick the target that he did. And right up there at the top, he wanted to go to a place where he knew his victims weren't going to be able to go and defend themselves. These guys may be crazy in some sense, but they're not stupid. Their goal is to get media coverage, and they know that the more media coverage that they're going to be able to get, the more uh, the, the more people they kill, the more media coverage they're going to be able to get. And they know if they go to a place where their victims are defenseless, uh, they're going to be more successful. You may have one police officer in a, in a school or someplace, but they have an almost impossible job. If you have somebody in uniform, 
the the killers have a huge tactical advantage. They could either wait for that single person in uniform to leave the area before they attack, or they can move on to another target where they don't see somebody there protecting them. Or if they decide that they really want to attack that area, who do they think they take out first? Having one person in uniform is kind of like having that person wearing a neon sign that says, shoot me first. And none of that makes, I mean, the fact that, that I remind people all the time, John, I tell them, uh, Dr. John Lott has come up with a number that says about 94% of mass shootings happen in places that are labeled as gun-free, even though as a, as a percentage of the entire landscape of America, virtually all of the country is not gun-free. It's only a very right. small part of it that is labeled as gun-free, and yet those gun-free zones tend to be the most dangerous places where most of the mass shootings happen. Exactly, exactly. I mean, you go to most right-to-carry states, you may have a couple percent of the area where you're going to hit, um, ban people being able to carry guns for protection. But if you look at mass public shootings where four or more people are killed, uh, not part of some other crime like a robbery or a gang fight over drug turf, uh, where somebody's going in with the express purpose just to go and kill and harm as many people as you can, those Overwhelmingly, as you say, about 94% of those attacks occur, even though they make up such a tiny area of, of the states. You know, see, you'll see things like an attack at a, a movie theater or a mall, you know, and you'll find, okay, maybe there's only one movie theater in the area that was posted. Well, the guy went there, or one mall that was posted as banning it. The guy went there, and at some point, you know, even if you want to go and discount uh, the, the explicit statements, which the media just refuses. I just don't understand. You would think it would be newsworthy for the media to once in a while mention why these murders explain why they picked the target that they did, but you will search in vain. You know, on our website at crimeresearch.org, we have a collection of many of these cases where these where these mass murderers have explicitly talked about why they picked the targets that they did. And, you know, you'd think it'd be newsworthy. Well, but, you'd think, then, in the same way, Dr. Lott, I know people say, well, you don't expect uh, reporters to be out being advocates for one side or the other. Well, they are. I mean, I, it's very routine in America to hear a report of a house fire and no working smoke detectors were found, or working smoke detectors were found, especially if somebody's hurt. If there's a car crash, you'll routinely hear police believe that alcohol or right. drugs were involved, or police say that no seat belts were being used by the occupants of the car who got badly hurt. You put those well, elements in because they make a difference the, to the outcome of the story. Yeah, look. I, I, you know, they go often the initial news reports about how the person obtained the gun or what guns were used are often wrong. Uh, I, I don't know. Some years ago, uh, I was talking to some editors at Fox and I was saying, why don't you guys mention this in the stories that these attacks keep on occurring in these gun free zones? And they said, well, you, you have to get it to us right away. You have to get it to us within the news cycle, not like a day later or something. So I put in a lot of effort and got them examples of cases when they occurred that they had occurred uh, in, in gun-free zones. But then they never fixed the story. And the explanation I got back was essentially what you were saying, that, well, it would just be political for them to go and include that. And I said, look, 
Why is that any more or less political than than the story mentioning how you think they obtained the gun? Absolutely right. Dr. John Lott from the Crime Prevention Research Center, author of More Guns, Less Crime. Dr. Lott, thank you very much. Back in a moment, we'll talk about the battle of the also-rans among the Republican presidential candidates and their fourth debate last night. your risk rate. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. I don't want to get going because I have to keep you here too long because you know all what I'm about to, what I've said, and you know what I've done, and you know what we're doing, and you know what I know what you're doing. Let me close with this. He's the president now, baby. He don't even know his name. This is the Lars Larson Show. What they did to Donald Trump with the Russia collusion was one of the biggest abuses of power in the history of our country. These agencies need to be cleaned out. Uh, with me, you'll have a new FBI director on day one. Uh, we're going to clear out the DOJ, the IRS, all these places. Buckle your seatbelts. There's going to be a new sheriff in Thank town. You. Now, that's Ron DeSantis from last night's Battle of the Also-Rans. That's what I call the debate that was held last night. The first three of those debates among the other people running for the nomination from the Republican Party, which I don't think any one of them has a prayer of actually getting the nomination. Donald Trump appears to have it all locked up at this point. And I say that even though I know you're going to say to yourself, Lars, you're a pro-Trump guy. Don't do that. And I say, well, take a look at the reality of it. Donald Trump has north of 50% support. There isn't one of those other Republicans running, including Ron DeSantis, including Vivek Ramaswamy, and actually I can say his name correctly. Many of the people on TV do not, um, among uh, the others. And Chris Christie, for goodness sake, what the heck is wrong with him? And Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley has shown a little bit of support, but not nearly enough to actually win the nomination away from Donald Trump. But DeSantis was right in saying that if, in the unlikely event, he became the nominee and won the presidency, he would plan to clean out the deep state. He would clean up the DOJ, clean up the FBI, etc., and that makes sense. And one of the things he also says that I think makes sense, and that's this. I don't like ballot harvesting. I don't like any of those other things, and in many states, those things have been made illegal. 
And yet the Democrats have engaged in breaking the laws in some states, in other states, simply taking advantage where there's a hole in the law that says you are allowed to engage in ballot harvesting. And they make great use of it. And what DeSantis and others have said is if they're going to do it and it's legal in the state, then we're going to do it, too. Take a listen to this. Twenty years ago, Florida and elections was a joke. Everybody would laugh at it. Uh, I came in, I removed a couple supervisors from South Florida. We require voter ID universal, no Zuckerbucks, no mass mail balloting, and no ballot harvesting. And that's the way the laws should read. But because every single one of the 50 states is allowed to make its own laws and decide whether or not certain practices like ballot harvesting can be done or not, DeSantis says... We're going to do it the way that wins the race if it's legal. Listen. Let me tell you this as the nominee. I think it's important. Not every state's where we need it to be. There is ballot harvesting in places like Nevada, all these places. I am not going to fight with one hand tied behind my back. I'm going to have organizations in all the swing states. If they're harvesting, we're harvesting. If they're Zuckerbucks, we're Zuckerbucks. We are going to exploit whatever the rules are. Yeah, and that actually makes perfect sense. Now, do I want to see ballot harvesting outlawed? across the land. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to see all 50 states adopt rules against it. And if anybody tells you they have to do ballot harvesting, no, they don't. And you know what ballot harvesting was? In places like Wisconsin, you would have the liberals send in groups of usually college-age young people, men and women, probably some pronouns too, and they'd show up at, say, a nursing home where some of the residents don't even know their own names, can't even recognize their families, and these young people would sit down with folks in a nursing home and say, here, let me help you with your ballot. That's ballot harvesting. Also, collecting massive amounts of ballots which have no chain of custody and then delivering them as they were delivered in the middle of the night, uh, documented in the movie 2,000 Mules. And then, of course, because it is the Battle of the Also-Rans, and it's more like a cage match, you've got uh, Chris Christie and Vivek Ramaswamy going at it. I've got to let you listen to part of that. The fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So shut up for a while. Your version of foreign policy experience was closing a bridge from New Jersey to New York. Yeah. So do everybody a favor. Just walk yourself off that stage. Enjoy a nice meal yeah. and get the hell out of this yeah, place. Yeah, the enjoy the nice meal was kind of sweet because Chris Christie was losing weight for a while, but now he's ballooned back up to the same shape he was in or always has been in. And then, of course, there's Vivek Ramaswamy. Mishwami talking to Ron DeSantis about how much he owes Donald Trump because you have to remember history. Uh, what's happened in just in the last number of years, Ron DeSantis is only the governor of Florida because Donald Trump stepped in when DeSantis campaign was absolutely foundering and he offered the kind of endorsement and help that got Ron DeSantis into the governor's mansion. Listen to Vivek Ramaswamy talk about that with all three of my other colleagues on this debate stage is all three of them have been licking Donald Trump's boots for years for money and endorsements. Ron DeSantis, you've been a great governor, but you would have never been one without actually begging Donald Trump for that endorsement. And you attacked him in your Nikki book Hayley. a year ago. Same thing with Chris Christie as a lobbyist, begging them for COVID money for his special interests in New Jersey, prepping him for the debates last time around. These people are now Monday morning quarterbacking some decision he made. And, and he's fair, and that's a fair criticism, because you've got all these people saying, no, you've got to give the nomination to me. Don't give it to Donald Trump. 
And yet all of them seem to have received a lot of help from Donald Trump over time and then forgotten about it as soon as they could. And Vivek Ramaswamy, I've got to say, uh, knows what he's talking about when he talks about the deep state. Because remember, when Donald Trump became president of the United States, he campaigned on the idea that America is run by a deep state. Now, I know that most of the media said, well, that's just a fiction. It's mythology. It's not. Understand what's happened. Uh, various agencies of the federal government these days, almost every one of those agencies has been weaponized by the Democrats, by the liberals, so that the DOJ does the bidding of the Democrat National Committee and the FBI does the same. And the Pentagon is now doing the same as well. And I think Ramaswamy's concerns about the deep state are legitimate. Listen to this. I think the real enemy is not Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? And it does look like it was an inside job. Now that we've seen all the video almost three years after the event, I mean, remember, this was an incident that happened in a public place. It happened with cameras all over the place. And we were told in late January of 2021, this is the reason to impeach an American president in the last couple of weeks of his presidency. But no, you, the American people, cannot see the video. And there have been various Republicans who've taken way too long to get that public, that video made public. But when it finally was, we saw why the Democrats didn't want it made public. Their whole narrative that this was a murderous riot, that it was an attempt to overthrow the government of the United States. Well, you know, it wasn't true and it wasn't backed up by the facts or the evidence. But the American people were not allowed to see the evidence. And then, of course, there was the watch party for this debate, this fourth debate among the GOP also rans. And guess who won it? Take a listen to this report from uh, NBC. And we're keeping track of their opinions. And by the end of the night, you had Vivek Ramaswamy out of this watch party of about 30 people getting five votes. You had Ron DeSantis getting two, both Nikki Haley and Chris Christie having a sole one vote. Um, and get this, former President Donald Trump, despite not being on the stage, got 18. So that's really reflective of the vibe of the night here in Atlanta. Absolutely right. The uh, straw poll for the debate that Donald Trump did not want to attend, did not need to attend, and did not attend. Donald Trump won the debate last night. The other four are still also ranked. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. The Lars Larson Show. Fix stupid. Stupid is forever. But you surely can vote them out. This is the Lars Larson Show. And I'd look at them every morning. It'd be the first thing I'd look at. And I probably got too close to the problem. And my staff will tell you, if it was under 1,000 apprehensions the day before, that was a relatively good number. And if it was above 1,000, it was a relatively bad number, and I was going to be in a bad mood the whole day. On Tuesday, there were 4,000 apprehensions. I know that 1,000 overwhelms the system. I cannot begin to imagine what 4,000 a day looks like. So we are truly in a crisis. Now, that's Jay Johnson. He was heading up Homeland Security and Border Security under Barack Obama. And remember what he said? 
under a thousand a day, uh, manageable. Over a thousand a day, that's a crisis. Four thousand a day, unimaginable. Well, imagine this. As of this last week, twelve thousand illegal aliens a day are crossing into the United States of America. So if 1,000 was a crisis, what is 12 times that number just a few years later under Joe Biden? I thought we'd talk about it with Laura Reese, who's a senior research fellow for Homeland Security at the Heritage Foundation and former acting deputy chief of staff for the Department of Homeland Security. Laura, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on. I wanted to remind people, just for perspective, if Jay Johnson, Obama's guy, said a thousand or more, that's a crisis, and four thousand unimaginable, what should Americans make of the fact that it's twelve thousand a day now for some of the days of the last week? Well, it's an all—it's a whole nother high level, and uh, President Biden just keeps making more records, historical records, and yet they're all bad. Whether it's the number of encounters—I mean, we had ten thousand a day, three days in a row this week, and then twelve thousand. So that's triple what uh, former Secretary Jay Johnson said he couldn't imagine. And yet the current Homeland Security Secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas, says it's not a crisis. Border's not open. I mean, he just completely gaslights Americans. Uh, but anyone with eyes to see can um, tell that, yes, this is, in fact, a border crisis. Our country has never seen this before. So, Laura, here's the problem. It could be worse. I mean, because you, you think, well, 12,000 a day, uh, a couple of hundred thousand every month, uh, bordering on 300,000 a month. I know they're the high twos for some of the months. But now the Biden administration wants to open up more than just the U.S.-Mexico border. Would you mind telling my audience about that? Yes. So uh, some of my colleagues were speaking with uh, Guatemalan government officials, including uh, the president of Guatemala, Gia Matei. And he informed us that he said to Secretary Blinken of uh, the State Department in Mayorkas, your U.S.-Mexico border is very long. Our southern border with El Salvador and Honduras is very short. Please help us secure our southern border in Guatemala, and this will largely cut off the flow. And the secretaries said, well, we'll take it under consideration, and then came back and said, sorry, we don't have the resources to do it. Uh, but then what the Biden administration has done is spent billions of dollars on setting up safe mobility offices, quote unquote, in Guatemala and throughout Central America to receive the migrants coming up from South America uh, and transport them, process them, et cetera, whether that is um, – flying them into the U.S. after they have applied for uh, parole using the CBP Mobile One application or other processes. Um, but the government of uh, Guatemala, you know, their takeaway was, look, uh, clearly the Biden administration wants to keep the Central American borders open and to keep this flow continuing. Well, and the other thing, Laura, I don't understand about this, uh, because when they say we don't have the resources, and you've got a friendly country that is saying, help us close our own border. 
And the Biden administration seems to have no problem sending endless resources uh, to Ukraine, even to the point of diminishing our own military stocks to where the Pentagon says they need multi-billion dollar replenishment. But we don't have a few uh, extra members uh, to go down and, and help assist a country in closing its own border and solving the problem at a pinch point instead of trying to solve it along a 2,000 mile border with Texas and New Mexico and other states? Yeah, it doesn't pass the laugh test. Um, and meanwhile, the White House is asking Congress for another $13.6 billion for quote-unquote border security money. Uh, but one more dollar given to this administration is just going to accelerate the process of illegal aliens flowing into uh, Central America and up through Mexico to the U.S. Interestingly, I'm in New York City right now, and uh, near the uh, Roosevelt Hotel, which is often on, you'll see on TV, it's become a migrant shelter for yep. illegal aliens who arrive in New York City, among other shelters here in the city. And uh, we walked around a little bit and asked where people were from. We were hearing Senegal, Mauritania, China. <laughs> I mean, truly, they're coming from all over the world. Uh, there were a couple of missionaries there who talked to people and try and um, have people go to church with them. Uh, we spoke with them for a while, and they said they're seeing a lot of Venezuelans and a lot of Haitians because, of course, that's one of the many parole programs uh, Secretary Mayorkas created unconstitutionally yeah. uh, to entice people to come here. And when it comes to immigration, if you offer it, they will come. Well, and Laura, I want you to back me up on this or tell me I'm wrong. When they talk about parole, they say, oh, this is part of the law. Well, it is part of the law to say they can make occasional case-by-case -case exceptions where there is some urgent need that a foreign national be allowed to cross into America for a short period of time. And the examples that people have given are there's a bad car accident, Border Patrol finds an illegal alien on our side of the border, but he needs medical treatment. They don't send him back. They take him to a hospital, get him treatment. If a woman's giving birth, they take her to a hospital. If there's somebody needed to testify in a trial, they can bring that person in under parole. But now the Biden administration is abusing this in a way that the Congress never intended uh, the way they wrote the law and saying, well, we'll just, you know, wave a magic wand and all of these people are granted parole to enter America, not on a case by case basis and not on a short term basis, but somewhat indefinitely. Absolutely. Yeah, this is supposed to be exceedingly rare. And the examples you gave are the classic examples. Uh, and if you ask uh, agents, immigration agents, you know, pre-Biden, how often would you uh, grant or even be requested parole? I, they could count maybe on two hands. Um, and yet this administration is paroling in people in the tens of thousands every month. And it's unconstitutional. It, it's a runaround of the visa system. The intent of parole is you don't have time to go get a visa. Um, and for that very reason, Congress did not authorize work permits for parolees. But what is the Biden administration doing? Not only are they mass paroling in hundreds of thousands a year, they're giving them work permits. If you're supposed to be here for urgent needs, such as surgery, medical treatment, or testify in a, in a criminal trial, why on earth do you need work authorization? You don't. And so there is no temporary intention by this administration in doing this. And once these people have been in America for five or ten years, they'll argue, well, you can't remove me now because I have ties to the community. I've got children. I've got a wife. 
or a husband, and they'll say, now you, you have to let me stay. And that seems to be the intent of what President Biden's doing. Am I right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is, it is amnesty for sure. Uh, all, there are five things illegal aliens want. They want to get into the U.S. They want to stay here, work here, send money home, and bring family here. So when we've got millions of cases pending and backlogged in the immigration courts and at U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, that means aliens just file more frivolous applications because it, they know it'll take years before their cases ever Absolutely. Laura Reese is a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Laura, thank you very much for the time. Back in a moment, I'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. We've all heard... I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Senator John Kennedy gets it. Mr. President, you just got to try harder not to suck. Well said, Mr. Kennedy. We agree. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Our Twitter poll on this Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Should the government kill hundreds of thousands of owls to protect the wimpy spotted owl that just can't cut it? I would say no to that. The government should not be doing that. And yet that's just what the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is proposing. It has to do with the spotted owl, which is not prospering, even though the entire region decided to largely abandon logging on national uh, forest land, uh, federal forest land like BLM land, uh, decades ago. They wiped out an entire industry. They wiped out hundreds of thousands of jobs, and they said it's all in name of the spotted owl. Well, now it turns out the spotted owl is still not doing very well. So Fish and Wildlife, Fish and Feathers, has said we are going to go out and kill 400,000 barred owls over the next 30 years so the spotted owl can prosper. It makes absolutely no sense. So should the government kill hundreds of thousands of owls to protect the wimpy spotted owls? Uh, I answered no, they shouldn't. You can answer any way you like. It's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Now, we always put naysayers at the head of the line. So, Mark, welcome to the program. What do you and I disagree about today? Well, Lars, normally we don't, uh, but I do disagree with you on 110. Major 110? Yeah. Uh, and I'll disclose 
my dog's in the fight. I have a few of them. I'm an Oregon resident. I did vote no. I didn't want 110. But after I've thought about it for a while and we've seen that it's unsuccessful, I think we just need to modify it. How would you go, would you go and, about doing that? Well, I would, I would suggest that we take it and make it a first-time offender type law. You know, if you get caught with it the first time, <clears throat> then instead of possible jail time or probation, you, you get a couple of options, um, whether it's an inpatient or outpatient treatment facility. Well, hold, or, hold on a second, Mark. If, if I'm given options, that's what happened under the old law. You'd the judge would say, Mr. Larson, you've been caught with heroin. I have never had, I've never used heroin, but you've been caught with heroin. You're in possession. You can have a felony conviction, which we're likely to get if we take you to trial, or you can agree to go into treatment and we, and if you complete the treatment, we'll wipe out the felony. You don't want to bring back the felony though, do you? Uh, not necessarily for the first time offenders. So, and I, I'll so what's, no, no, hold on. So if you're going to offer me treatment, if I say, Screw your treatment. I don't want it. What happens to me? What do I get convicted of? Right now, it's a ticket that I don't even have to pay. Right. So uh, what are you gonna What are you gonna you know, put in place at of that, that point? Then I'd probably say yes. We need to do you know maybe some jail time, or well, I don't even care if they go to jail, Mark. It, but but the thing that gets I mean, when you drive, you live in Eastern Oregon. When you drive into Pendleton and you park your car, do you put money in the parking meter? No. You don't. Do you ever get a ticket? No, we don't have parking meters in the oh, Okay, sorry. So if you drive into you drive into <laughs> Portland, if you're crazy enough to come into Portland, you, you you park at a meter, you know what happens if you don't feed the meter? You get a ticket. About fifty dollar ticket. Now, in other words, do it or else is is how everything else works. If you go out to build something where you live and you don't get a building permit, you may have a permissive county, you may have a county that says, Hey Mark. We're going to shut down your building project, and we're going to tell you you have to get a permit because you didn't get a permit, and you'll have to pay double for it because you failed to get the permit ahead of time. Almost everything in life has consequences. We have taken hard drug use and said there are no consequences. So if that, you know, that didn't mean most of the people who are offered the choice of treatment or a felony said, I'll take the treatment, I'll stay in treatment for a year, and you'll wipe the felony out. So you get them to at least try to get off the drugs. Right now, there's no incentive to go into treatment. So if you offer them treatment and they say, or else what? And you say, or else a ticket you don't have to pay. Do you know what almost all of them do and have for the last couple of years since Measure 110 passed? They say, then screw it. I'm not, I'm not going to pay the ticket. I'm not going to pay the ticket. I'm also not going to go into treatment. You get nothing out of it. That's what Measure 110 delivered. And we get a big right. pile of several hundred body bags filled with the, the bodies, the dead bodies, of people who've overdosed. And drive-by shootings and drug dealing and a lot of other nasty things that came along with Measure 110. So is there a way to fix Measure 110? Because I don't see it. But if you see one, tell me what it is. Well, like I was saying, you know, maybe first-time offenders, they don't get that, that felony. You can give them the choice of, you know, go to treatment. Or we can do, we can bring back the little bit before my time. I was born in 83, uh, but I know that they used to, for certain offenses, you know, a judge could say, if you serve, say, four years in the Oregon Guard. So, well, 
judges and have suggested military service, or, but, but the judge has no power to force you to do it. Okay. So, like so in other a words, bit before my time. you're right back to Measure 110, which says if you don't go into treatment, nothing happens. And you say, fine, right. I'm going right back to heroin, meth, cocaine, and fentanyl. And, and if you give them one shot, you're giving them one more chance to, what, end up in a body bag? Unfortunately, I'm a I'm a former drug user myself. I quit Sorry back in 2001, that. and when I joined, uh, when what I went made through you a program quit? called Say it real quick, Mark. What made you quit? My own choice. I didn't like where my life was headed. And that's a good reason. And if all the drug addicts would do that, we'd be better off. Mark, thanks. You're a great naysayer. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com. View the videos and then let the 1031 Exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.